Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Cipher, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL, no capitals and no spaces. The offseason is pretty much just starting. I've been watching an absurd amount of college film getting ready for the draft because I find it easier to, you know, kind of get ahead of the curb by starting to watch these college players before even the combine is a talking point. Because if I'm trying to do it amidst free agency and then all the trades that are going down, it becomes very, very difficult. So, you know, I'm on school break, right, February break. And I've been watching a lot, a lot of college film. And I'm excited to throw some, you know, draft talk at you guys in the future. But that's not what this episode is going to be about. This episode is going to be all about the franchise tag period. All right? And the re-signing period. The franchise tag period just started yesterday. Or at least the time that I'm recording this, which is Wednesday night. The franchise tag period started on Tuesday. No one's been tagged yet, although rumors have started and conversation has, of course, been circulating. And the franchise tag is always such an interesting thing that causes a lot of drama because players hate it, but teams and owners, they love it. They love it because it's one of the few ways that they can get leverages over the players. Oh, what's that? You're aware that the quarterback market has been rising severely over the past couple of years, and you're a mediocre quarterback asking for $45 million per year? I'll just franchise tag you. And for the most part, it's a balancing act. But a lot of the time, you see teams kind of abusing it, and you can't help but feel bad for the players. Even if they're not necessarily abusing it, sometimes it, even though it might be in the better interest of the team, it just ends up hurting the players. For example, what's probably going to end up happening to Lamar Jackson. He has balled out. He won an MVP. But he wants a lot of guaranteed money. The Ravens don't want to pay him that money. So, you would think, oh, he'll just get up and leave. But the franchise tag, the thing about it is players can't just reject the franchise tag. If a team franchise tags you, you are stuck with that team for the year. And what makes it worse is that the franchise tag gives you very little guaranteed money, which is exactly the thing that Lamar Jackson is fighting to get. So that's something that really sucks. Let's go a little bit more in depth into the entire Lamar Jackson franchise tag situation. He isn't just going to get what's considered a normal franchise tag. He's going to get something called an exclusive franchise tag, or at least that's what everyone's expecting him to get. Now, what's the difference between an exclusive franchise tag and a normal franchise tag that all of us have grown so accustomed to? Well, people forget that with normal franchise tags, other teams can negotiate with your player. And again, if you're on the franchise tag, that doesn't mean that you have to play under it, right? If you are on the franchise tag, you and the team can continue to negotiate until a certain point in the year on a different deal. And then the franchise tag is really just something that you're using to extend the negotiation period before other teams can start negotiating with your player. But again... Teams can still negotiate with a player under a normal franchise tag. But they have to either match or pay more money than the franchise tag would allow them to get. 
So then what's the big deal of the franchise tag? I might hear you asking. Well, the reason that the franchise tag still, for the most part, guarantees that a player stays on your team is if another team out, I don't know if outbids is necessarily the right term, but if another team out just pays more money to get that player, beats your franchise tag, beats that offer, don't you fret whoever gave this player a franchise tag because now you get compensation. What is that compensation? Two first-round picks. That is an absurd price. And that's why you basically never see teams outbid or basically take a player from another team that franchise tag that same player. That's why you almost never see it. That being said, if Lamar Jackson were to get a regular franchise tag, two first-round picks, that's a very, very light price for one of the best quarterbacks in the league and one of the biggest game-changers in the entire NFL. Teams will give that up in a heartbeat. That's why the Ravens are probably going to give him the exclusive tag. What's the difference between the exclusive tag? Well, it makes sure that the player that you're giving the exclusive tag to, so in this situation, it would be Lamar Jackson, it will make sure Lamar Jackson is a Raven. No other team is allowed to negotiate no matter what. He is locked in to be on your team. What's the catch? You have to pay, instead of it being the current average price of the top players or top contracts of the players in that position, which for quarterbacks right now, it's around $32 million. It will be the average of the top highest paid players of the position around, I want to say around April. I think April 1st is when they calculate it. Which right now it's projected to be about $42 million. So that's an extra $10 million. That's a big deal. But the Ravens are going to do that because they want to keep Lamar. And you cannot blame them. Seeing how bad that team was when they lost Lamar, they basically have to give him the exclusive tag. Now let's start paying attention to the... Other players on franchise tag watch. That Lamar Jackson one, I'm pretty sure, is a lock because they are apparently very, very far from agreeing upon a long-term deal. So I'm pretty damn confident that they're going to give him an exclusive tag. Now let's talk about what the Giants might be doing with their franchise tag. We all heard by now. Daniel Jones is asking for $45 million per year. And normally, the solution to this problem would be easy. You tell Daniel Jones, okay, you either stop driving such a ridiculously absurdly hard bargain, or we franchise tag you. Which honestly wouldn't be too bad for Daniel Jones if they were to do that. He'd still get paid $32 million, barring any injuries or anything of the sort. Or him getting cut, which I don't think would happen. And then they could continue to negotiate a long-term deal. Until, I don't know when the deadline is. I want to say it's sometime around June, maybe? But they have a while to negotiate a long-term deal if they were to do that. But something or someone throws a wrench in this entire situation. Daniel Jones. His contract is up the same year 
very unfortunate for the Giants, as Saquon Barkley. That really hurts him. Saquon Barkley is a great player, all right? Will he still be a great player three years down the road? No one knows. You don't want to be giving him a long-term deal, do you? I've talked about this multiple times in the past. You look at the large majority of the recent Super Bowl champions in the past five years, only really two of them had a bell cow back. And we're paying a running back. Only two of them in the past five years. Two of the past five games had one team with a running back that they were paying big money. Only two. So two out of ten in the past five years. Paying running backs, it doesn't really benefit you. In the modern NFL, it just doesn't work. Being a running back by committee team is just better, okay? That being said, the Giants at least want to have Saquon for next year because the offensive weapons that are available this offseason, whether it's through the draft, or at least so I heard through the draft, I'm not done scouting all players on offense, but I think I'm getting a pretty damn good idea of the draft and the receivers that will be available. It's a weak wide receiver draft class. And the free agents? Also, not a great wide receiver group. And then the running backs aren't too special either, unless you're getting B. John Robinson. And Pollard might be available. But we're here we are talking about not wanting to pay a running back. They're not going to not pay Saquon and then pay Tony Pollard or Kareem Hunt. That's not happening. Okay? So let's just get that completely out of the way. The Giants obviously want to do better next year than they did this year. Right? Because they're supposed to be trending up in the right direction. They lose Saquon Barkley. They're not going to be able to bring in new receivers. Or new great receivers, really. And if they lose Saquon, all of a sudden they they don't really have a top-notch offensive weapon anywhere on that offense. Unless they pay another running back, which would make no sense. Frankly, I don't even know why I'm mentioning it. So, in an ideal world, they would give Daniel Jones his long-term deal this year and then franchise tag Saquon. But Daniel Jones is asking for $45 million, and you cannot give him that money. Can't be done. So, looks like they're going to have to lock in Saquon for the long term, which I guess isn't the worst thing. But running backs, right? Shelf life of running backs, thats it's never too long, right? Uh, like, I don't want to speak something into existence, but, I mean, Saquon, he's been getting banged up throughout his career. He's lucky that he could still play at a really high level after those injuries, but I question, is that next injury going to be the one? Again, I, I hope I'm wrong. But you just look at what happens with running backs in the modern NFL. Still, though, they want to keep him. Because if they don't, that offense and overall the team is going to be disappointing next year. They should have a better record. They should be a better team next year. And if they're not, the fans get pissed. Because they're supposed to be trending up. They lose Saquon. They won't be trending up anymore.
so they can't lose Saquon. But at the same time, you obviously don't want to lose Daniel Jones because then you got to look for another quarterback. So they're going to have to franchise tag Daniel Jones and then give Saquon a long-term deal, which is something that would suck for them. Especially considering just what happens when teams pay running backs. It doesn't age well. It doesn't end well for those teams. The modern NFL, you don't want to be paying a running back big money, but the Giants, because of what Daniel Jones is doing, asking for $45 million per year, they kind of have to. Now the Seahawks. They're looking at potentially losing Geno Smith. This one, I don't think he's getting a franchise tag. I think that he's getting a long-term deal. I don't even think they're going to need to franchise tag him. I think that they're going to be able to get on the same page with a long-term deal before the franchise tag deadline ends. I really do. I don't think a franchise tag is going to be needed. Now, maybe he does get a franchise tag, but if he does, it's going to just be used to extend the negotiation period for them. They're not going to lose Geno Smith with how great of a season he had. I mean, I think he's a top-ten quarterback in the NFL. And he's definitely the most consistent quarterback. He's definitely up there. In terms of consistency, it doesn't get much better than Geno Smith. It's still crazy that we are in the modern NFL and Dan- and Geno Smith is one of the top quarterbacks, but here we are. Now, the only thing that could maybe make me hesitant to give G- Geno a long deal is, oh, this was his first really good year, but even then, what are you going to do? Move on to a different quarterback? I don't think so. I mean, they can franchise tag him. I just don't think they will because they're only going to have to pay him more. Why would they want to do that? I think there's very little reason to think Geno Smith won't keep this up. Because there were a few points last year where I was like, oh yeah, you know, maybe he's a bit fraudulent. No, I I think he's just that good. Orlando Brown and the Chiefs. I think he could get a long-term deal too because they gave up a first-rounder for him. And they kind of have to keep him. And he's a good offensive tackle. The more and more they give him the franchise tag, right? This would be a second franchise tag in a row. And he would be getting paid more than last year because of it. The more and more that he gets the franchise tag, the more and more they're going to end up needing to pay him. So I think they just decide, okay, let's start paying him now. And down the road, it will be a move that really benefits us. Because each year, the market for these positions is just going up. All right? You don't pay him now, you're going to have to pay him more next year. I think they give him a long-term deal. But they might need to franchise tag him in order to extend the negotiation period. Or maybe they just find him playing under the franchise tag and, you know, they really do believe they're fine giving him a long-term deal next year and paying him more. Maybe. I feel like this is a tough one, but I think he gets a long-term deal done. James Bradbury and C.J. Gardner-Johnson. This one, I'm tying these two together. One of them probably will get the franchise tag. It's difficult to pick which. There's no way the Eagles let both of them walk, right? Their secondary was such a crucial part of their team. They lose both of these guys, and now their secondary becomes a weakness. No longer the best in the league. And even losing one of these guys will make it no longer the best. But it'll still be a strength if they keep one of these two. They lose both. They're screwed. And I think calling them a Super Bowl, a Super Bowl team again is a stretch. They need one of these guys to remain a true, legit top dog in the NFC. They lose both of them, they're going to have to replace one of them with some very good corner out of nowhere. The question is, do they get the franchise tag? 
it's tough. It really is tough to say here. I really could see this going either way. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. I could see them getting like a two-year deal. One of them getting a two-year deal. But I think a franchise tag to either Gardner Johnson or James Bradbury seems likely. If I were to say for a fact one of these guys get it or one of them don't, I would say they do. Evan Ingram, at the moment, it seems like he is going to get a extension, a long-term deal. So, great for him. Uh, a lot of reports today came out about him and the Jaguars mutually agreeing to stay together. Mutual interest between the two teams. And I think that's right. I think they're going to pay him appropriately. I don't think he's going to get much more money by going to, I don't know, the Bengals if they lose Hayden Hurst. I, I really don't. I think Jacksonville, it's a good spot for him. He just had a great year. And from his perspective, he'd get paid more after the season he just had than if he were to bet on himself and hope for a better season next year. I, I don't think so. I think this is the right time for him to agree to a long-term deal. This is probably the highest his value will be. And from the Jaguars' perspective, why would you give him the franchise tag if he does maybe have a better season next year or the same type of season, then he's going to get paid more because the market is only going up. Right? I think this makes sense from both sides. Now, Josh Jacobs, the person that was statistically the best rusher in the entire NFL last year. His contract is up. Does he get a franchise tag? I think... He gets the franchise tag and then an extension. But I, I think it depends, right? I don't want to talk about Aaron Rodgers on this podcast because I still refuse to believe that he is leaving until it officially happens because the past two years, I just wasted so much time on the podcast talking about him maybe leaving just for him to not. But if Aaron Rodgers goes to the Raiders – then I think the Raiders won't give him a long-term deal. And then they're fine letting him go after this year. Because if they, if they bring in Aaron Rodgers, the offense is going to be built around Aaron Rodgers. Having Josh Jacobs with him, you know, that's great. But you can only pay so many offensive players. You can't be paying Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers, Probably Darren Waller gets paid too, and then Josh Jacobs. I just can't imagine them doing it. Josh McDaniels, even though it worked well this year for the running game, he probably would be fine going back to his roots if Aaron Rodgers goes to the Raiders. And by going back to his roots, I mean going back to running back by committee like he was with the Patriots for a decade, winning Super Bowls. They bring in Aaron Rodgers. They don't need Josh Jacobs. They'll keep him on the tag for this year, and then after that, he's gone. But if they don't get Aaron Rodgers, which is what I expect to happen, he gets a long-term deal. He's going to continue to be the hero for the team. They'll pay him like it. That's how I see this going. So it depends on if Rodgers actually leaves, which I don't think he will. And if he even goes to the Raiders, maybe he goes to the Jets instead. Tony Pollard. I find it fascinating that we are talking about Pollard maybe going back to the Cowboys because they would be paying an absurd amount of money to two different running backs, which in the modern NFL, you don't want to pay one running back big money, let alone two. That is not something you want to be doing. But the Cowboys do cowboy things. When they have big when they have big name players, Tony Pollard is a big name player, by the way. 
they do whatever it takes to keep them. That's just what they do. That's the business. I don't think the Cowboys should be doing this, but they probably will need to franchise tag him. And I don't think Pollard would want to be franchise tagged. I don't think he would agree to a long-term deal. I don't think he would want to be playing there. I think he wants to be a free agent. There's no way in hell Pollard would actively want to play on the Dallas Cowboys considering they're going to hold him back from making the most money he can. Right? I mean, Pollard, I think after the season he had when he was on the field, and that's the problem, he isn't on the field enough because they're paying Zeke big money and they want to get the bang for their buck from both of their running backs. So, because of that, Pollard doesn't really get much of an opportunity to show how good he is, put up the statistics, and then those statistics make teams want to pay you more money. He hits free agency, a team will want to pay him bigger money because these other teams want to use him as a bell cow guy, not just a compliment to 45-year-old Ezekiel Elliott. I say he's 45 years old. Zeke isn't even like... It's crazy. Zeke is, I believe, below 30. But he's just so clearly washed. And that's another reason why it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. That you have one of the best running backs in the league, and he's splitting time with Zeke. Big part of why he wants to leave. He knows he's worth top-tier running back money. He's not going to get paid that by the Cowboys, why would he stay on the franchise tag? Wouldn't make sense. He wouldn't sign a long-term deal. The Cowboys want to keep him, so they'll be franchise tagging him, and he'll be pissed about it, I imagine. The only reason that he wouldn't want to hit free agency is because he thinks teams might be scared off by the injury at the end of last year, which I guess is fair, but the Cowboys aren't really going to give you a fair chance to display that you're not really that affected by the injury and your play isn't affected by the injury. And even if you saw the Cowboys as an opportunity to really show it, you only need one year to do it. There's no way Tony Pollard agrees to a multi-year deal. He will play on the franchise tag only because the Cowboys will force him to and then not agree to a long-term deal. It would make no sense for him to do it. If he does agree to a long-term deal, that would be beyond stupid. I, I mean, it would make no sense from a business perspective. Jordan Poyer. This one's simple. I expect him... To be tagged because, yeah, I know that the Bills are a little bit over the cap, so they are going to have to free up cap space. But I, I just think the Bills are trying to win now. Poyer is still a top-tier safety. They want to win now. They need their defense to be consistent. They need their defense to not just stay healthy. I mean, that was the real problem last year. Couldn't stay healthy. But they need the defense to be good enough to stop Mahomes. Good enough to stop Joe Burrow. They need the defense to really play well. They lose Jordan Poyer. They lost a big part of that defense. They can't be getting worse, all right? They need to find a way to extend the Super Bowl window a little bit more. And... In order to do that, they need to free up cap space right now and then re-sign Jordan Poyer. Whether that will be a franchise tag or a long-term deal, I don't know. I think it will probably be the franchise tag, though, because they don't, they won't have a lot of money. Although Poyer shouldn't really be getting paid much more than the, than the franchise tag would pay him anyway. So 
I mean, I don't know. I think it is. I think it is tough here. I think it definitely is. I I do think. Mm, I think they're gonna keep him, whether that's franchise tagging him or giving him a long term deal. I don't know. But by giving him a long term deal, they could structure it in ways that free up cap space right now or don't really hurt them as much against the cap right now. So it probably will be a long-term deal that's structured in a way that minimizes the current the current cap hit, I guess. So yeah, I think it will be a long-term deal, but only for cap hit structuring purposes if they backload it. Question is, does Poyer, is is he fine with a backloaded contract? I don't know. That's what it comes down to. I think this is a tough one. They will keep him, though. I doubt they'll let him walk. Von Bell slash Jesse Bates. This one is very similar to C.J. Gardner-Johnson and James Bradbury. Jesse Bates, this would be his second year on the tag. So, I guess they would rather... Tag Von Bell, but I'm going to go into it later, right? Because I'm going to talk about one player that each team or each team's most important re-signing or re-sign, player to re-sign before free agency starts after this segment. And we'll go over which one I expect or which one I think is more important for the Bengals to keep. But it's important to keep in mind in this specific discussion, in this segment, Von Bell, if he gets franchise tagged, it will cost them less money than if they franchise tag Jesse Bates because Jesse Bates would be on a second straight franchise tag. And I, I don't think they... Mm, listen, they need to keep one of them. That's something very clear. It's important to remember, though, they drafted Daxton Hill. Okay. So, they have a replacement for one of them. Daxton Hill is a very good player, or he was very good in college at Michigan. The question is, does one of them get tagged? I think one of them gets a long-term deal. One of them walks for sure, right? The other one, I think, gets a long-term deal. The Bengals are trying to keep that Super Bowl window open for as long as possible. These two safeties are a big part of that. They have a replacement for one of the two. If they franchise tag the other, I imagine they'd bring in a replacement for that guy too after the franchise tag ends. Overall, I believe one of them is going to get a long-term deal. The other one is going to get replaced by Daxton Hill. I'm going to go over which one I think that will be in the later segment. Now, Washington with Deron Payne. It's been reported that the Washington Commanders are very, very, very likely going to give Deron Payne the franchise tag. Do I think that's the right decision? No, I don't. Listen, this one is similar to the Bengals' decision with the safeties a little bit, and that's because they have their replacement, all right? They drafted last year Fedarian Mathis in the second round. Why would they tag Deron Payne right now? Jonathan Allen, their other defensive tackle, is under contract until 2025. Okay, so he's not going to be gone. They give Deron Payne the tag. I get it. Payne might be better for next year. Sure. Why do the commanders really care? Can someone explain that to me? Why do the commanders really care? They are not going to win many games next year. They are going to be about league average. Might as well bring in the young guy. Might as well give him experience with the team. I get it. This might, this season, if if the Washington Commanders make the playoffs, Ron Rivera can revive his career. 
would that really make much of a difference in anyone's mind, though? I don't think so. And I don't think replacing one of the defensive tackles is going to be the the downfall of the team. It would be a smart move for the future. It might not be better for the right now. But listen, you drafted this kid in the second round. He's a defensive tackle. He should be able to play right now. On a rebuilding team, it's not like people are going to care much if they lose. The only reason I could think of is this is Ron Rivera being worried that the team might fire him if they don't make the playoffs or something. Or they need to win a certain amount of games. And they think Deron Payne makes that much of a difference. And Deron Payne is a great player, don't get me wrong. But the fact that if this hypothetical scenario is true, and that's why he's doing this, he is putting his interests before the teams. That's bad. You don't want that from your head coach. Duh. Putting in Mathis right now as the starter and letting Deron Payne walk. It benefits the team long-term, and frankly, that's all that really matters. Giving him the experience right now, all that really matters. Because the team isn't going to do diddly squat this year, okay? They're Washington. They're not a very good team. It really makes next to no sense to me for them to keep him. Why did they draft Fedarian... Fedarian Mathis. Why? It was a second round pick. A second round pick. They're Washington. They have holes. It's not like they drafted him for depth because, yeah, we really need D-line depth. We're such a loaded roster. We could afford to draft a defensive lineman in the second round just to be a backup. Clearly. There's something wrong here. Is it something I'm missing? I, I don't know. It really makes no sense why they would do this. Why did they draft him in the first place then? They have other holes. They should have drafted someone that would help them win now then, right? If they're so interested in winning right now, why didn't they draft someone to help them win at that moment? Help them win now. Why did they just waste a second round pick? He's a piece for the future. Let the future start now. You're Washington. You're not winning many games anyway. Just do it. What's the point of re-signing Deron Payne? I know he's a great player, but they don't they don't need him. They're wasting the guy's prime. And they're not really benefiting from his prime either. Anyway, that's all for this segment of the podcast. When I come back, I'm going to talk about each team and who they should be prioritizing re-signing for this year. Their must-re-sign player before free agency starts. I hope that you're enjoying so far, and I'll see you after the break. And we are back. You're listening to the Goal Line Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Seifer, and I'm going to go through each team and the player that they should prioritize re-signing the most and preventing from going from free agency. Some of these players I also went over with the franchise tag thing, so I'm going to keep it short with them. I'm going to start with Arizona. Their upcoming free agent that they should prioritize not letting be a free agent is Zach Allen who had a breakout season this year. He, I still remember when he got drafted, he was a disappointment for a while, but this year he really put it all together. He was by no means stunning, but he was one of the few bright spots on a weak Arizona defense. It's important to keep in mind they are losing J.J. Watt, who, despite his old age, was still pretty damn good last year. Zach Allen is going to have to step up in his place, okay? That Arizona that Arizona defense has very, very little to work with in terms of real talented blue-chip players 
Zach Allen is going to have to do what J.J. Watt did last year and really just eat up every run play before it could get to the second level. Because those linebackers, not a very strong unit. Zach Allen did a lot against the run last year, and he was also a good pass rusher. He's going to have to take a little bit of a step up. But still, he's the only real bright spot on this Arizona defense. Letting him walk would just be a huge, huge, massive mistake. Atlanta, I have Caleb McRae, their offensive tackle, 28 years old. It might might not be the youngest, but Atlanta's identity on the offensive side of the ball is, at least it seems like Arthur Smith wants it to be, based around running the ball. Caleb McGray had a pretty underrated year last year. I know he was on Atlanta, so it's easy to forget that he exists, but he was pretty damn good. He was opening up running lanes, and he was a good pass blocker. He was a bright spot for this team. If you want your quarterback, whoever it's going to be next year, to be comfortable in the pocket, keep McGray around. He's a talented guy. He opens running lanes, and he really is a big part of this team's identity that they're trying to build right now. Caleb McGray, he's an offensive tackle that deserves much more respect. I get he's on Atlanta, but he's a good player here. Baltimore, we talked about him earlier. Lamar Jackson, not elaborating. Same thing for the Bills, Jordan Poyer. Carolina. There's not many important free agents here. So I'm going with Donta Foreman. He had some damn good games after McCaffrey got traded. Okay? Does he have to be their bell cow guy? No. But he's someone they can re-sign, and if they want to use him, as their star back for a year or two, there would be nothing wrong with that. I don't think anyone would have any gripes with it because he's a talented player. He proved it. He had a couple of games where he looked pretty damn good. I mean, there were times where people were calling him a mini Derrick Henry, and it seemed true. I mean, he's a talented player. You could trust him to be your lead horse for a year or two. There's really no reason not to re-sign him because he shouldn't be too expensive for the team. Chicago, a lot of people would say David Montgomery here, but I think Khalil Herbert is a really good running back. In terms of all the advanced metrics that I really don't like much, he's very good. So the analytics crowd that loves yards over expected and stuff like that, stuff that I don't really pay much attention to, but I know that he is seen in very high regards by that crew. I do still like Khalil Herbert, though. Even though I'm not in that collection of people that love those stats, I got to admit, Khalil Herbert, he passes the eye test. I really like what he could do. They by no means have to re-sign David Montgomery. And if he's asking for really anything, I'm not going to lie, I would pay him no more than seven and a half mil per year. I'm going to be honest. He's probably going to ask for more than that. He has every right to. David Montgomery. But that's really the highest that I would be willing to pay David Montgomery because I have Khalil Herbert, a very good replacement that might be better than him. So who's a free agent I think that they should prioritize? There's a Chicago Bears fan that has an obsession with fullbacks. A lot of you that listen to the show often know him. David Miller, Miller Football. He preaches all the time about fullbacks, and he loves this guy. Kari Blassingham, there's no reason to let this kid walk. He was a key part in their rushing attack that was oh so dominant this year. You got to keep him. The price should be very cheap because fullbacks don't get paid much. He's the only fullback I have on this list. Maybe... A little of this is me being blinded by how much David Miller preaches him, but he's a good player, key part of a running game that was oh so dominant, should be dirt cheap, and there's not really any other running backs or not really any other players that the Bears have that I'm like, oh yeah, they have to keep him.
This is a guy, though, that I think they have to keep. You look at the other players that have their contract ran out, no one is really too important to them. David Montgomery, I get, but again, they have a replacement for him in Khalil Herbert. Blasingham is a very good lead blocker. Even though he's not always on the field, he's an important part of this rushing attack. Whether Justin Fields is running the ball or the tailback or running back is running it, it doesn't matter. He's a key part of it. Now, Cincinnati. I think they need to re-sign Jesse Bates. Let Von Bell walk because Daxton Hill can replace him. I talked about that earlier. The reason I'm choosing Jesse Bates to be the one that they have to re-sign and not Von Bell is because Von Bell is more, you know, that box safety, that physical guy that will get a bunch of tackles. That's what Daxton Hill does. Daxton Hill can replace Von Bell. And he could also probably replace Jesse Bates, but he could do a much better job. And he'll really be much more of a plug-and-play if they just trust him to do what Von Bell did. So yeah, Cincinnati re-signed Jesse Bates because his role as that single high safety and, you know, that coverage guy deep down the field, limiting big plays, he's very good at that, all right? No matter what PFF tries to tell me, having him with a low grade, I really don't care. I know he's a damn good player. And his role on this team is important. They want to compete. Keeping Jesse Bates allows them to do that. Cleveland, another team that really has no one of really any relevance that is going to become a free agent this year, they could let literally everyone walk and they'll be just as good of a team, even though they might lose Jadevian Clowney and Kareem Hunt. Those are two very talented players that they might lose. And I think Jadevian Clowney is a really good run defender, even today. Kareem Hunt, they don't really need at all. They don't really even use him. And that offensive line is so good, really any running back can look good behind it. The player I picked is Greedy Williams. Maybe they would benefit more from keeping Jadevian Clowney. I get that. But... Jadevian Clowney has a lot of gripes with the team. I don't think they could re-sign him no matter what, and I think they'd have to pay him a lot of money. I don't think that's worth it. Greedy Williams, he's a good deaf piece in the secondary. Talented player. He doesn't get much playing time, but I think he's a good piece in terms of depth in their cornerback room. You can never have too much cornerback depth, so I like it. And I think he has potential to win that slot corner rollback. I do. So now Dallas, this team, there's a, there's a couple of guys, okay? But I'm going Leighton Vander Esch. He's been lackluster for a couple of years, but last year, or the this season, I guess, he really proved himself to still be one of those damn good linebackers. He was a key part of this Cowboys defense and the dominant run that they had. And because of him, they're allowed to use Micah Parsons as an edge rusher. And line up in all these weird places and use him, take advantage of his versatility. Leighton Vanderesh, him being such a good off ball linebacker to just put in the middle of the field, allows them to do whatever they want with Micah Parsons. Because if Vanderesh wasn't there, they would have to line up Micah Parsons in the middle of the field and just keep using him as the inside linebacker and nothing more. They wouldn't be able to blitz him all the time. It's something that he's so good at. Having Vanderesh allows them to use him as an edge rusher or maybe even line him up in the A-gap, right? Something they do sometimes. I mean, maybe they'll line him up man-to-man with a tight end, and then Van Der Esch stays in that middle zone. Van Der Esch is a good coverage linebacker, and he's also able to make plays against a run. He's consistent, and that consistency allows you to do whatever you want with Micah Parsons. I think that's the key thing here. Van Der Esch is just a good role player. He's able to fill that role for them, and that allows them to do so much more with their other, I don't want to say more talented players because I don't want to knock Van Der Esch, but I'm just going to use it because there's not a better word here. 
Van Der Esch being such a good role player allows them to do crazy stuff with their other far more talented players. Van Der Esch is a great player. He had a very good year, a year that a lot of people are underrating. I think that he's our most important free agent to re-sign. Now Denver. I'm going Kareem Jackson, the safety that complements Justin Simmons oh so well. We talked about it with the Bengals. There's really two different archetypes of safeties. There's the single high guys and the guys that are really good in coverage. And then there's also the guys that will really go down into the box and make plays on the running backs and really disrupt the running game. And sometimes you find a guy that could do both. Sometimes a guy is a little bit better at one than the other. Kareem Jackson is the box safety to Justin Simmons' single high, very good coverage player. Really solid player here. Very good against the run. Compliments Simmons very well. Like, I know I keep saying that, but he's a key part of this defense because of that. The Broncos' defense, we know it had a really good year, although the offense sucked. The defense was very good. Kareem Jackson was a key part of it. They got to re-sign him. Now, on to Detroit. There's really two guys here. Jamal Williams, who led the entire NFL in rushing touchdowns. Or the guy who I picked, Alex Anzalone. Listen. I know, I know. He led the league in rushing touchdowns. How could I not pick him here? We know how I feel about running backs. We know how really the entire NFL feels about running backs. They're replaceable. In an ideal world, and probably what's going to happen, Detroit is going to keep both. And I also think Jamal Williams is going to take a team-friendly deal because he clearly wants to be there. Alex Anzalone, though, I think he's more important to this team because, one, running backs are less replaceable, and, two, he's not just this role player, you know, who'll make plays when he's needed and, oh, you know, if the defensive line doesn't get a stop, he'll make the play, but that's really all he'll do. No, he'll get in there. He'll stop the run play himself. He's not the best coverage linebacker, but what he's able to do in the run game is really, really beneficial to this team. He's the glue that holds this defense together. He's the reason that despite the defense not being overly talented, they don't allow too many, too many big plays, at least on the ground. He's a big reason for that. Alex Angeloni, he's a star here. They need to keep him around. He had 12 tackles for loss and... 123 tackles altogether. The guy's a stud. Important part of this team. Green Bay, there's three guys here. Robert Tunyon. I'm hoping I pronounced this right. Yash Nijan. He's the offensive tackle. He was undrafted. He was pretty solid. He's a good depth player to have for when Bakatari gets hurt, which seems to happen every year. Alan Lazard, though, is the one I went with. The receiver core is weak. They need to keep receivers around. Christian Watson, even though I don't necessarily love him, he's a solid part of this roster. They need more receivers beyond that. Lazard is serviceable. That's all they need at the moment. Alan Lazard, I think they need to keep him around. Even if they bring in someone to replace him, he's at least a good death piece to have a wide receiver. He shouldn't cost them too much. I think they got to keep him around just because of how bad that receiver core is beyond Christian Watson. Houston, there's really no one here. I'm going with Jordan Akins because he's one of the few serviceable NFL caliber starters on Houston. And really, you look at their other free agents, it's all just nobodies. You got to go Jordan Akins here. He led the team in receiving touchdowns, although it was with only five. I mean, you know, it's hard to find an, a good tight end that really elevates the team. Akins isn't one of them, but at least he's a serviceable guy to have. Another AFC South team, I have Indianapolis with Bobby Ukariki. 
That's the free agent. They have to keep him around. The duo of him and Shaq Leonard, I mean, they just make sure there's never a single run play that goes past six yards. They do a remarkable job just containing run plays. Shaq Leonard, I feel like, is the better coverage guy. But Ukariki, I mean, he does a great job just getting his hands on runners and stopping the play. He's really exceptional. And he's a consistent role player for this team. He shouldn't cost them too much again. And I feel like he's always finishing seasons with above 100 tackles. Like, he's just an animal. Now, we talked about these next three guys, Evan Ingram, Orlando Brown, and Josh Jacobs. So I'm not going to elaborate more on that. The Chargers, they're another team that doesn't really have anyone. They have the only special teamer that I have on this list, though, Cameron Dicker. He was 19 for 20. His one miss was above 50 yards. They should keep him around, although it would be nice for them to, you know, kick with him more because they continuously go for it on fourth down. Maybe they want to change that. Maybe use your pretty damn good kicker a little bit more. Still a good player, though. Got to keep him around. And again, he shouldn't be too expensive because, again, he's a kicker. Rams, another team. They don't really have anyone. Uh, or they have a couple of guys, but no one that's like, oh, my God, they got to keep him around. Taylor Rapp's the guy I ended up with just because he's been on the team for a while. And he's been a consistent box safety, you know, making tackles, not letting plays end up being too big. A safety that's able to get in there and make tackles. He's a good player for them. Solid starter. You know, you don't want to lose this guy. They want to compete right now. Don't lose one of the guys that's just been consistent for you for years now. Got to keep him around, I think. Miami, yet another team. There is not really a must-keep player for Miami. But Trent Sherfield, he's a good depth piece at receiver. I'm pretty sure he's their wide receiver three, actually. So he gets a little bit more play time than the average depth piece at receiver. He had about 500 yards, good player, speedy, familiar with the Mike McDaniel scheme because he was on the 49ers with Mike McDaniel before he was on Miami. So that's an interesting piece. But again, good player, solid, nice depth piece to have. He's not Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle, but he's a good receiver just to add on to this team. Might as well keep him around. I don't think any of the running backs that they're going to lose are overly important because it's not like Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson are overly good anyway. So I think they're an easy replacement. Minnesota. They got to keep Garrett Bradbury. He's a pretty damn good center. Not one of, not Jason Kelsey, but he is good, all right? Dalvin Cook, Alexander Masson, they're able to run much better because of the running lanes that this guy has been able to open up for them. He's been on the team for a decent amount of time now, too. Good pass blocker, good run blocker, you know, just a whole package. He's not the most stunning center ever again. He's not Jason Kelsey, but he's a consistent starter. I think it's important they keep him around. There's a lot of areas for improvement in this game for this team, despite their record. And I think the interior offensive line is part of that. And yeah, Garrett Bradbury had a bad playoff game against the Giants, getting exposed by Dexter Lawrence play after play after play. But... I think it's more about fixing those guard spots than is the center spot. I think Garrett Bradbury is a good player to keep around. New England might be losing Jonathan Jones, and they also might be losing Devin McCourty, who's been on the team for a while. But I think it's more important that they keep Jacoby Myers because Belichick, I don't know how he does it, but every year he's able to just spawn in these new defensive backs that will be anywhere from Average, I mean, it's rare for them to be average, but they'll be anywhere from average to absolute studs. But only when they're on the Patriots, right? I I don't know what it is, but Belichick is just so good at coaching up defensive backs. He's amazing at it. He's able to bring in like these 
seventh round picks and just make them become absolute household names at defensive back. He does an amazing job with it. He's stunning. So because of that, I don't really care if they lose both Devin McCourty, who I think is one of the most underrated players of the past decade. And if they lose Jonathan Jones, I don't think it will matter much because Belichick is still the head coach. I do think it will matter a lot if they lose Jacoby Myers, though, because that offense was horrible last year. The defense is not a place for concern. And Jacoby Myers was one of the few offensive weapons that leave you like, oh, yeah, he's someone that the defense should be afraid of right now. He was an actual reliable offensive weapon for a Patriots team that was really, really bad at throwing the ball. But he, he was a consistent weapon for them. Now, they need to get someone else so he's not the primary target on the team because he very clearly should not be that. But he's still a good role player for them. And he's been he's been being used more than the average role player. And I think that's a problem. I think now they just need to let him settle into a role. They don't pay him too much right now. And then they bring in another receiver to really take the large focus of the defense. As opposed to Jacoby Myers being pretty average and then being treated like he's Devontae Adams by the defense. Because that's what's been happening. And that's part of the reason he hasn't, like, that's part of the reason he hasn't been extremely productive because defenses really have nothing else to worry about, so they worry about him. New Orleans shouldn't sign anyone because of how terrible their cap situation is, but if there was a gun to my head and I had to say someone that they should re-sign, I would say Marquez Callaway just because looking at the receiver core, when Michael Thomas is out, they really only have one big man and that big man is not someone overly good. Marcus Callaway, he's ha- he's had his fair share of like, oh my God, how the hell did he come down with that place? He's a big receiver, 50-50 ball target, and that's a type of receiver the Saints don't really have. So I think keeping Callaway around, that can only really benefit them. Except for the fact they're in a terrible cap situation, so they really shouldn't re-sign anyone. Especially because the, the players that are available for them are, there's not really anyone that I'm like, oh yeah, they need to keep him around. I'm really just saying Callaway because I have to say someone. New York Giants went over this. Daniel Jones, Connor McGovern, very similar to Garrett Bradbury, although I guess this guy's worse, but still solid center. Keep him around. You know, he helped pave the way for Brees Hall to have what should have been an offensive rookie of the year season. Brees Hall's coming back and he's going to love to have Connor McGovern back with him too. Not the best center ever, but he's a solid starter, so keep him around. Philadelphia, Jason Kelsey, one of the best offensive linemen in the league, Not, and he's, a, I think, the best center in the NFL. It would be insane for them to lose him. Even though the rest of the offensive line is very good, the highlight of that team is the offensive line. I know the receiver core is very good. I know Jalen Hurts is very good, but the real reason that they made the Super Bowl was because they have the best offensive line in the league. The reason they have the best offensive line in the league is because they have the best center in the NFL. Or at least that's a big, big, big part of it. That's why their running game has been so dominant, because Jason Kelsey is just such an absolute menace, along with the rest of the offensive line. That is very good. Pittsburgh, Devin Bush is still phenomenally talented. The wrestles free agents I don't think are overly important, so keep him, you know, hope that he gets better and molds into that ideal superstar inside linebacker that they traded up for him to be, and he looked like that his first year and then kind of fell off after the injury. I think they should keep him around, though, just because the upside is there, and I mean, hey, if he doesn't pan out, I don't think they'll have to pay him too much. San Francisco, Mike McGlinsky. Really good offensive lineman for them. That running game really knows how to use great offensive linemen like Trent Williams, but also like Mike McGlinsky. I mean, he's a guy who'll block someone and he'll make sure they don't really penetrate the hole. He's very, very good as a run blocker. Not the best pass blocker known to man, but he's a good one. I mean, but you bring this guy in and you keep this guy because of what he's able to do in terms of run blocking. And then having a great run blocker like him, like Trent Williams, and then Christian McCaffrey and Elijah Mitchell running behind them with the amazing schemes that Kyle Shanahan draws up, I mean, it's just insane. I don't know how you're supposed to stop it. Mike McGlinchey, you got to keep him around, though. 
Seattle, we talked about it. Geno Smith, not much elaboration needed. We talked about it. Tampa Bay, Sean Murphy bunting. It's between that and Levante David. I think this team is very clearly past the point of being a competitor, right? So because of that, Resign the young guy. Resign the 25-year-old cornerback who I think has been severely underrated his entire career. This guy is really good, really physical with the receivers up at the line of scrimmage and does a great job. I mean, he's been so good for a decently long time now, and he's still very young. I know Levante David's another very good player, but you're not competing anytime soon. Might as well take the younger guy who's also very, very, very good. Sean Murphy Bunting. Got to go with him. Tennessee, in all honesty, there's only one player that adds any value whatsoever that they might lose as a free agent now that they cut Zach Cunningham, who's a fine starter, and then Robert Woods, who, yeah, he's not that good, but he could be a nice death piece, I guess. And they also cut their kicker, right? So who's left? All those guys were going to be free agents. They just let them get a head start on free agency. Who is left? This guy, Demarcus Walker, he had a fine season. I believe he had seven sacks, actually, which isn't, I mean, that's an, that's not nothing, really. That's a good stat line. Listen, I'm not going to act like this guy is, like, insane or even too great, but he's someone, he's a starter, right, he's a starter, having Harold Landry on the other side of him, you know, stuff looks really good, question is, what do you do with Bud Dupree now, that's really what it comes down to, I still think they keep this guy around, just because Bud Dupree, you want to get rid of him, that's a huge contract, you don't want to have to pay him and Harold Landry, and frankly, Bud Dupree hasn't been that good, Demarcus Walker, is their replacement for Dupree. That's how I see this. And then Washington, Deron Payne. We talked about it. Anyway, that's all for this episode of the Goal Line Podcast. I'm sorry I really rushed that last segment, but it's late and I gotta wake up at uh, I gotta wake up at like five because I'm going on college trips tomorrow. So yeah, I, I wanna at least get a little bit of sleep. I know that I could get more sleep in the car, but you know, I, I've been I've been tired. I want to get this done with. Uh, now, obviously, I enjoy this podcast. goes without saying. I wouldn't still be doing it if I didn't enjoy it. I just kind of rushed through that last part just to get a little bit of sleep before my college trip. I hope that you all enjoyed the episode. If you want more content, more content where I'm not just rushing through it like I did for the last, I don't know, 15 minutes of that segment, check out No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. Also, check out my Twitter. I've been tweeting a lot about the draft prospects that I've been seeing. At No Huddle NFL with an underscore at the end. That is, again, at No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces and an underscore at the end. I hope that you all enjoyed this episode. I'll see you all again next week.